I want to talk about prayer, and in the fourth chapter of Philippians, the sixth verse, be careful for nothing, that is, have no care about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And so I'm going to choose this phrase, in everything by prayer, and in doing it, I'll not be doing violence to the scriptures, because what it actually says is, in everything by prayer and supplication, but supplication is a form of prayer, with thanksgiving, but thanksgiving is a form of prayer, let your requests be made known, and letting your requests be made known is a form of prayer. So, in everything by prayer is what the Holy Spirit said. Now, this is a remarkable phrase, and it is a key to the treasure house of God, and all that God has is ours. But we are not enjoying all that God has, either because we don't know it's ours, or because we have not practiced in everything by prayer. Now here we have an unfailing technique for spiritual success, and this motto, in everything by prayer, is one that might well be on the cornerstone of every church building, and uh, it ought to be in every pulpit, and it ought to be in every boardroom. In fact, for the average boardroom, I would suggest four of them, one for each wall large enough so that no matter which way a board member was looking, he'd see it in everything by prayer. Now, uh, I don't know whether my method is a good one or not, but the uh, brother's going to speak on absolutely nothing, and I whispered to somebody that I do that myself frequently, but I don't know whether the getting out into the philosophy of things, but I like to do it that way. And so I want to show you why this morning. Everything we do in God's church has to be done by prayer. I want to show you why. Now, it isn't simply that the Lord said it, now you believe it. But there's a reason why he said it. There's a reason for its being true. And the reason is that there coexists two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, and these coexist, and to some measure they mingle, but not too much. They touch at any rate, and they live side by side with each other. And it's the kingdom of man into which we are born. When we're born and the doctor says it's a boy, it's a girl, we are born into the kingdom of man. That's the exiled man who is in rebellion against God. That's fallen man. We were all born to fallen parents into a fallen society and became members of a fallen race by nature. And uh, this, this fallen race, this, uh, this race of man, they disagree an awful lot. But they're, they're in agreement on certain things. You remember how Herod and Pilate had been enemies. And then, when they came to judging Jesus, they made themselves friends again. They were, they were apart on certain political things, 
but they were together on this, that they weren't going to have anything to do with Jesus. And so in the world out there, we have the West against the East, and we have race against race, and we have political party against political party, and uh, all this kind of division. But uh, those are local things. Actually, the human race agrees on one thing. The human race agrees on the basic principle that we call human self-sufficiency. We believe that we are sufficient unto ourselves. People believe that. Oh, you occasionally will find a poor little chap with no chin, infect and distressed, who goes about not thinking much of himself. But if you'll press him and press him, you will learn after a while that he has quite a high opinion of himself and his ability. And if he doesn't have of himself, he does have of humanity. And he believes in what they call the instinctive wisdom of the race. Now, it's a strange thing that the great philosophers, I'm thinking particularly now of Emerson, talk about the instinctive wisdom of the race, whereas God talks about the folly of the human race. God says that we are fools and men say we're wise men. God says that we act like foolish children and know not as much as an ox knows, for he knows his home and knows how to come back, and a bird knows its nest and knows how to fly home. But we don't know our spiritual home, and we don't know the hand that feeds us, and uh, we're not sufficient unto ourselves. And then we believe in the soundness of moral judgments. We believe, the human race believes, that uh, there may be a little mistake here and there, and there may be a juvenile delinquent and a beatnik occasionally show up, but that for the most part we know what is right, and we believe in the soundness of our moral judgments. And then they believe in human righteousness, allowing for a few flaws. We believe in that human beings are right and good. I wrote something one time to the effect that, uh, what did I say? I don't remember how I worded it, but to the effect that people were bad, the world was bad, and a woman, a very intelligent woman, obviously, from her letter, wrote me a very sharp letter and wanted to know what was the matter with me, that I would uh, make such a statement that the human race was bad. Didn't I know that they were conquering cancer? Didn't I know that they were conquering polio? Didn't I know that men were becoming brothers? Didn't I know that there were hospitals everywhere, that we were taking care of the insane? Didn't I know that we had children's asylums where children went and were cared for? Didn't I know that that uh, insane people were not driven out into the bushes as they used to be, but were cared for. Didn't I know these things? Well, I don't know whether she was asking me uh, merely rhetorical questions or whether she thought that I just had never been to school. But uh, I did know those things, but I still believe in the basic badness of the human race. I do know those things, but I believe in the basic evil of the human race. I came up from uh, New York Friday night. And sitting by to my left was a man who told me, that a middle-aged man, who said he'd been 30 years a newspaper editor in the city in, the, uh, in Canada. And uh, we, we, I, you know, when you're up against a man like that, you're careful what you say. But pretty soon I forgot that I was talking to a man that knew the world pretty well. And we got to discussing politics and communism and religion. And I told him uh, he was very much distressed. He's a very fine gentleman. He was very much distressed over, over world conditions, particularly over the breakdown of the home. And I said to him, well, don't you know, don't you know that this is simply a proof of uh, John Calvin's belief that in, in the total depravity of the human race? And he said that he did. 
Now, his name was Pat Kelly, and he was an Anglican. He was an Anglican. And I believe he said, if I recall, that he was uh, the chairman of the Red Cross, either Red Cross or Heart or, or Cancer Society of Canada. Anyway, he, he believed in that. And he, he said, I hope you won't think that I am too, I'm too pessimistic. And I said, no, I've just written a book that's worse than that. It's just about as bad. Because I don't believe in humanity. I don't believe in the goodness of people unless God helps us, unless God gets into us. Or unless we get into the kingdom of God, people are not good by nature, they're bad. But uh, we don't believe it. Humanity doesn't believe that. People don't believe it. And there's man's kingdom filled with, with the subjects of, uh, of Satan. Uh, and it's organized and it's implemented by science and it has in its favor history and familiarity and visible success. And uh, it is of the flesh, and it's from the flesh, and it's for the flesh, and it's dedicated to the flesh and to the passing world. Now, that's the kingdom of man into which you and I are born, regardless of our race. That's the kingdom into which we're born, a fallen, hostile, alienated race. And then there's another kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. And that kingdom consists of recreated persons, persons who have been born again anew, persons who have made Christ their Lord and in whom Christ is honored, persons who have no confidence in fallen humanity, persons who have no confidence in the soundness of man's moral judgment, but believe that left to himself man will always go wrong. Persons who know that they can do nothing in themselves and have no confidence in the flesh, or in their own strength, persons who trust in God alone to do an immortal work in them and through them. Now, these are called Christians, and they make up the true Church of Christ of whatever denomination. But it's a different kingdom altogether. There's the kingdom of man, and there is the kingdom of God. And those two kingdoms coexist, and sometimes they spill over into each other as water spills over into the boat and has to be bailed out to get together. And uh, I suppose there isn't any church anywhere that is totally, totally, totally committed to the kingdom of God to a point where everything is done by God. I suppose there will be a little bit of flesh and a little bit of old Adam and a little bit of the kingdom of this world get into all churches. I've never heard of one that didn't have a little of it. Then there are churches that have almost totally given themselves over to the kingdom of man. And their philosophy is man's philosophy. Their beliefs is man's, uh, are, are man's beliefs. And their viewpoint is man's viewpoint. And they, they go the way man goes, and they live the way man lives, and yet they call themselves churches. Then there are such churches as this, where an effort at least is made that the majority of what we do should be divine, and the majority should be on the side of the kingdom of God. But where undoubtedly around the edges there are things that are that God's not in. And the business of a minister and the business of elders and deacons and church members and Christians everywhere is to keep the church and make the church just as pure as she can be. And to keep all the kingdom of man out of her. And to keep her soul replete with the kingdom of God. That when you step into the fellowship of the saints, you step into a divine fellowship. A fellowship dedicated to the proposition that all men are bad until they're made good by the blood of the Lamb. 
dedicated to the proposition that we're on the wrong road until we find the road home to God through the cross, dedicated to the belief that it's only God in us that can do an immortal work. And so we in the kingdom of God have for our motto, in everything by prayer, because, you see, we've already admitted we can't do anything. We've already admitted there's nothing in human muscle that can do the work of God. We've already admitted there's nothing in the human brain that can think the word of God. We've all work of God. We've already admitted that there's nothing in human nature good enough to build in to the temple of holiness which God is raising in his universe. We already have admitted that. How then can we do? What shall we do? Hunt a monastery somewhere and hide ourselves away? No. We're to be in active work, but we're to do it by prayer, in everything by prayer. Now, let me show you the contrast between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, and then you see how, locate yourself, locate this church, locate me, locate us, locate ourselves in this. Now, the world says, in everything by money. Just have money enough, you can do anything. Everything. Money talks, and money opens doors, and it's money, money, always money. The more money, the better we get on. Always money. Christ hadn't a dime, but we say money. We had more money. But the church says, in everything by prayer, the church says we're wise enough to know that money's needed in the kingdom of God, and that God uses it, and says, let everybody lay up in store on the first day of the week. We know that. And we know that when we give, God takes it and blesses it. He has spread abroad. He has given to the poor, scattered abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. We know that. We know that in the kingdom of God, God uses money, but he uses it only because everything is done by prayer. But if you have money without prayer, you have a great curse on you. I believe the greatest curse could happen to Avenue Road Church would be for somebody to will us $100,000 and the Lord not to raise up praying people commensurate with it. If God will raise up men and women commensurate with the gift, then I wouldn't hesitate to accept $100,000 and put it to work. But you get money without prayer and you have a curse. Get prayer without money, and it's amazing what God can do and where he'll find money. Amazing where he'll find money. So the world says, in everything by money. And then churches rise up, and they're dedicated to the kingdom of this world without knowing it, the kingdom of man, and so they try to run the church the way man runs the church. One man said, well, he said, I'm a such and such, that is, uh, he, he was a certain denomination, which I'll try not to divulge. But he said, there hasn't been anybody interested in my soul in all these years. He said, nobody. He said, I make my pledge yearly and I send in my check monthly, and nobody has bothered me in years. He said, I never go to church. Said, Why don't you go to church? I never go to church because nobody's interested in me. He said, they're only interested in my pledge and my check. And he said, I see to it that I get my pledge and my check in. That takes care of my religious responsibility. Now, he was sarcastic in that. He didn't believe it, but he knew the church believed it. Church got his check, and that's what they wanted. He could stay home. Pastor could preach to his empty seat because uh, the check was in. I'll take the people. You can have the checks. I'll take the people, God's people, God's good, loving people. I love the people. 
But you know, I find that if you get the fish, you get the coin. And uh, you, you get the, the fish, there'll be coin in his mouth. And uh, if you get the sheep, they'll have wool on his back. So it isn't a choice between getting the people and getting the money, because if you get the people, you get the money. The point is, if you go after the money and don't care about the people, we're hirelings and not shepherds. And the church that only wants some, somebody's money, it's no church at all. It's running after the principles of the kingdom of man. And then the world says, in everything by social prestige. I flipped the radio on last night. After I'd gone to bed, I have a little radio. I don't listen to daytime to it, but at nights I sometimes do, often do. And uh, somebody was being interviewed as Jaja Gabur was her name. Now, I don't know whether you know Jaja or not, but she was being interviewed. Now, I listened a while to what Jaja had to say. And everything by social prestige. Get up there, get up there, and get to know somebody. And uh, they say it's not what you know, but uh, whom you know. Get to know people, big shots. Well, I've always felt that social prestige won't do it. Christ was born in a manger. And Peter was a fisherman, and John was a fisherman, and Levi was a despised tax collector. And the early church came up out of people that didn't amount to very much. Not many, not many are wise, not many are learned, not many are rich, not many, a few, but not many. The early church was born up out of the lower stratum uh, of, strata of society and not out of the higher strata. She came up, she came up from the common people. And the people who did miracles and went about everywhere doing miracles were common people. And uh, some, some of our modern critics, our, our modern uh, scholars, uh, shake their heads over Peter's Greek. They say, Peter's Greek wasn't so good. Said, it wasn't anything like Paul's Greek. No, it wasn't so good Greek. But he managed to write some epistles that have blessed a few million people down the centuries. And uh, he managed to preach a sermon that converted 3,000, and he managed to do a few other things, and yet his Greek wasn't so good. I suppose that uh, if he had been a more proficient in the Greek, he would not have had one ounce of power more than he had, uh, than he had, because everything was done by prayer. It was not by social prestige, but by prayer. And then in everything by publicity, I sometimes tremble to think that my son is, is now the head of a publicity, a, a public relations society, public relations. Well, and they're talking about uh, getting a Bureau of Public Relations in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Bureau of Public Relations. I don't even think I know what they mean. I don't really know. You go out and stand on the street corner and preach Christ to the passing crowd, you have, you have public relations. You preach Christ to the people you work with, and that's public relations. Be decent to your neighbor, and that's public relations. Behave yourself and obey the law, and that's public relations. Live as a Christian should, and that's public relations. But I don't think we need a bureau of public relations. I don't think we need somebody who's sitting back at the desk deciding how he, he can uh, make everybody like him and win friends and influence people for the Christian and missionary alliance. Now, brethren, what we need is the power of God. And let the public think what they will. 
And if we have the power of God on us and live like Christians, regardless of what the world says, I don't care what the world thinks of me. I won't stand well with God, and if I stand well with God, I'm likely to stand well with his best people. And after that, I'm not much concerned. But the world says public relations. We ought to have a, we ought to have a public, Bureau of Public Relations. I uh, <clears throat> went to a church when, in fact, my wife and I went there before we were married. Went there, continued there after we were married for a while, until I began to preach. And it was a great church, really great church. Oh, they used to pray and testify and sing, and the power of God was there, and they'd come at communion service and kneel down to take communion. And I've seen them break into tears and break into laughter along the altar, and the joy of God was on the place, and the little church was packed full, and we were having great times. Then something happened, and they had a tremendous church row. And the pastor was thrown out, and uh, the devil was voted in. And then you know what they did next? They established a bureau for public relations. And we used to get literature from them. A bureau, it was the, uh, the such-and-such bureau of public relations. Imagine it. When they grieved the Holy Ghost so he couldn't bless them, then they felt they should do something to keep themselves in good with the public. Scripture says, in everything by prayer, not in everything by money. In everything by prayer, not in everything by social prestige. In everything by prayer, not in everything by publicity. In everything by committees. <laughs> Nowadays, I claim that there's never one hour of the day or night, from the beginning of spring to the last of winter, the next year, that there isn't some committee, alliance committee, up in the air somewhere floating around. You know, we just we just try to do everything by committees. If we go wrong, we get a bunch of com- we get a committee together. A committee, said Vance Havner, is a company of the uh, incompetent chosen by the unwilling to do the unnecessary. And uh, we we have we have these expensive committees floating around. You know, and just one fella. The Holy Ghost had come on one man. He could make a decision and say, do it this way. Bang. It's done, you know. And he can go off about his business. Instead of that, they have to sit around and talk for hours about trifles. Talk for a half an hour about whether to take a 15 or 17 minute coffee break. In a religious office. They say they have to have it to relax. Everybody knows coffee doesn't relax you. It does exactly the opposite. I drink it, but I know it doesn't relax me. Everything by committees. I am for one more committee. I would like to see a committee formed for the abolition of all committees. For at least a little, a little while. No, you've got to have them, I suppose. They're, they're like cleaning house and and scrubbing the dog and doing things you've got to do. You don't like it, but, and it, you, but it's necessary. And I suppose there got to be committees to the end of time. They had them in the Bible and all down the years, and we got them now. But the point is, if we realize that a committee could cut its time down one half if it prayed more. Moody said that the, a man prayed in public, the length of time a man prayed in public was sure to be an inverse proportion to the length of time he prayed in private. If he prayed a long time in private, he made his public prayers short. But if he was short in private, he was long in public. 
And I believe that the committee meetings that run endlessly are simply indicating that they haven't prayed enough. And if we pray more, we can talk less. And then in everything by business methods, we do trying to do the work of the Holy Ghost after the technique of modern businessmen. Won't work. And everything by prayer. Everything by education, they say now. What we need is a what we need is a more educated clergy, more educated ministry. Well, I believe in education. I have said that many times. I believe in education. And if you don't get it in school, you ought to get it in somewhere or other. And there are books everywhere. You can go down here to Eaton's and $25, you can buy yourself enough good books to get yourself an education in some fields. And you can get it in a year's time if you'll read. But uh, I have noticed that when a denomination starts to backslide, they always start to elevate their standards academically. The more, the less we have of the Holy Ghost, the more we have to know about Plato and Aristotle. Call that being acquainted with contemporary theology. I think that we ought to be acquainted with the ancient theology of Moses, Isaiah, David, Daniel, Paul, Peter, John, and the rest. And let the contemporary fellows kick, kick, kick the, the football around, because always there's a bunch of self-conscious intellectuals who are busy kicking around a current football having to do with uh, theology. Nowadays, you know, it's neo-orthodoxy and uh, neo-evangelicalism. Those are big, long words that don't mean very much, really. But uh, in everything by prayer, say the, says the Holy Ghost, says Paul, in everything by prayer, and he made good on it. And then the world says, in everything by compromise. I met a man not long ago, a Canadian man, who says that he is a goodwill ambassador for industry between the United States and Canada. I pressed him to know what he did. Well, he said, we, I go from the United States to Canada back and forth all the time from city to city, representing Canadian industry in the United States to keep us harmony, keep, keep us in harmony. I like that job. It's at least, it's, it's a nice job. It's trying to get harmony between the two. And he said this odd little thing. He said, the difficulty is to, to make the two countries see that they're foreign to each other. He said, they don't act as if they were foreign countries. He said, they, they want to act alike. And he said, you can't do that under law. And he said, I said, it's a pretty nice way to be, though, yes. He said, it's a nice way to be socially. But he says, under law, they've got their two countries. But they're one socially in, in friendships. Well, that's a good thing, I suppose, to, to make compromises where you can. But um, in the kingdom of God, compromising is a pretty deadly business. And the church, as long as the church goes out to the world and follows the world's ways, the church says compromise where you can. Compromise everywhere and get in anybody. I think that if you, I don't think there's a gangster anywhere from San Francisco a long island, that, but what could join some church in the United States? I don't know about Canada, but I suppose you're about the same. They could get in somehow or other, you know. If you smile and give them a check and dress well and comb your hair nicely if you have any, they'll take you in. They'll take you in. 
Nobody asks any questions. Compromise is a curse. And everything by compromise. Try to get along with people. Let the church get along with the world. The church in the days of her power never got along with the world. And the world never got along with the church. In the days of her weakness, she gets along with the church. And the church uses her like a cat's paw. A politician wants to get elected, so he makes love to the pastors, hoping the pastor in will be silly enough to tell his congregation that they ought to vote for the big lug. I wouldn't vote for him if he wrote me a letter. Just the fact he wrote me a letter, I wouldn't vote for him. Trying to use the church. The church isn't to be used, brethren. The church is to serve her generation by the will of God. But she'll decide how she's to serve her generation. The world won't decide it for her. Well, the truth is, you can't delegate prayer. Now, there's some things you can delegate. I can delegate my singing, for instance. I can have Nan McCracken sing my solos for me, because I can't sing solos. But I can't delegate my prayer. Nobody else can do my praying for me, unless I'm unconscious. And then, you know, your wife sends for somebody to come pray for you if you can't pray for yourself. But normally, but he says, you pray and we'll do the practical things. You pray and I'll, uh, I'll sing. You pray and I'll give. You pray and I'll entertain missionaries. You pray and I'll teach or sow or serve. You pray and I'll do the practical things. That is, a, that is a deadly snare. If you cannot and will not pray, God won't accept your sowing. If you can and will not pray, God won't accept your singing. If you cannot and will not pray, God won't accept your entertaining people. God won't accept your money if you cannot and will not pray. It is prayer that gives power to all these other things. Singing, giving, entertaining, teaching, sewing, working, serving, those are all good things if we set them aflame by prayer. But if we try to do them without praying, it's wood, hay, and stubble in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, the true success of any church is going to be prayer. We can easily deceive ourselves. But our purity and our power and our spirituality and our holiness will parallel our prayer. If you were to have a graph that businessmen love so well, and politicians, if you were to take a graph and put it up here and have two lines across, across it, zigzag lines, one you mark prayer, the other one you mark spirituality, including purity and power and holiness, spirituality, prayer. You'd find those two graphs, those two lines on the graph, they zigzag a little, but they parallel each other almost perfectly. Because morality will be dependent upon whether I do everything by prayer or whether I think I can do it. Now, I'd like to say this, and I hope it'll be taken right, but whether it is or not, I'm going to say it, that no one has any scriptural right to teach a Sunday school class who doesn't do it by prayer. If he isn't a praying man, he oughtn't to be a teaching man. Because no man can teach anything that he isn't. He may try to teach some truth, but it won't do him any good, and it may not do anybody else any good. The teacher ought to be a praying person. No one ought to head a department in Sunday school unless he's a praying person. No one ought to seek to counsel others 
unless they're praying persons. No one ought to serve even in the humblest capacity in any church unless they're praying persons. No one ever ought to serve on the board unless they're praying persons. Nobody who doesn't practice prayer, at least in some degree of regularity, ever should accept a job in any church as deacon or elder. Deacons and elders are picked because they're spiritual people, and if they're not praying, people are not spiritual people. I think it is a travesty and a tragedy that in some of our alliance churches, the women do the praying and the men do the bossing. The men sit around the boardroom and decide how the church is to go, and the women kneel in the prayer room and ask God Almighty to bless it. Won't work. No man ever should sit and discuss the affairs of the church, a holy body, unless he's a praying man. If he hasn't prayed, he has no right to make decisions. However, for us men, I'd like to say this in our favor. The women have the prayer bands, but there are a lot of men who pray, and we don't know they're praying because they don't belong to a prayer band. So let's not uh, divide between the two sexes and say the women do all the praying. They don't do it all. I know some godly men who do some praying, too, and I have no doubt that we have praying men and plenty of them in our, on our boards in this church. But I merely lay down a rule which is good not only here, but it's good all over the world, wherever the Church of Christ is found, that if you're going to serve, you have to pray, or else your service will be wood, hay, and stubble. Well, everything we do must be done by prayer. If I'm not a praying man, my preaching will not do much good. If I'm not a praying man, my writing won't do much good. They said about Pierre Grew, the great saint, von Hugel said about him, said the reason Pierre Grew's writings are so consistently and habitually blessed and help so many people is that Pierre Grew refuses, absolutely refuses, to write anything until he's blessed himself says he wants the oil of God on him flowing or he won't touch a pen. I think that's beautiful. And they said about Andrew Murray, was it? Or George Mueller, one of the two, I've forgotten which. One of them said, I will not enter the pulpit stale. I will not enter the pulpit dry. He said, if I am to speak anywhere, I wait on God and see to it that the grace of God's flowing in my soul before I dare to address anybody. Oh, friends, if we want this church to be a rich, fruitful, God-filled church, we're going to have to accept the Holy Ghost philosophy in everything by prayer. We're going to have to accept the Holy Ghost technique in everything by prayer. We're going to have to accept it as a rule for us from everybody from the newest convert to the oldest saint in the church, in everything by prayer. And I promise you, my friend and your friend and our brother, Robert Gray and I, will take this as our motto. And we'll never try to throw our weight around, but we'll in everything pray, pray, pray that this power of God and the grace of God and the Holy Spirit of God may be upon what we're trying to do. Will you go along with us in that? Amen? Amen. All right.